He is alive. Amen. Hey, I want to tell you what a privilege it is today to have a very special guest with us. And uh, this is his third Easter coming all the way from India to be with us, Dr. Sani. Many of you know him and have heard his story before. And uh, I got to meet Dr. Sani in 2005. A mutual friend of ours called me and said, Would you like to meet a pastor from India that has been stoned? I said, I would. And so we had dinner together the very first time we met, and we've been friends ever since, and he's a friend of our church here. And uh, I want to share one funny story. A few of you folks have heard it before, but uh, many of you haven't. That very first Easter in 2005, Dr. Sonny and I were going out and visiting some folks, inviting them to Easter Sunday. And so we drove pretty far out in the country, about as far as half you guys drive every day to get to church here, but um, out there ways and went out to a small little house and pulled in that yard and... What's sitting in the very front yard of that house? A Rottweiler about the size of my car. And a big dog. And uh, Dr. Sonny looks at me. He says, do you think that dog likes dark, dark meat or light meat? And uh, I said, I'm sure it's light meat, so you get out of the car first. Well, I have you know that God protects us at night, no dog bites. But uh, Dr. Sonny has done what only God can do in India. It started more than 5,000 churches. Ponder that for a second. 5,000 churches. Dr. Dhani and Dr. Sani uh, lives in a country uh, that is overflowing with persecution, unfortunately, both from Hindus, which is the largest denomination, but also Muslims. And they have a prime minister there now who's in charge of the country, and he is a devout, brutal, radical, Hindu, and he has just passed a law recently here that says if you do anything to diminish the cause of Hinduism, we'll consider it treason in that nation. So uh, it's getting going from bad to worse there. But you know what? Dr. Sani continues to march for Jesus Christ in his army. We thank God for that. I asked Dr. Sani to come this morning and just share a few minutes here and uh, tell you a few things that I didn't tell you about this morning, but... Uh, Let's, uh, let's give Dr. Sani a deeper damn welcome here. God bless you, brother. Uh, thank you, uh, dear Dan. Uh, you always have a warm welcome to me. And uh, I always love to celebrate uh, the uh, Resurrection Sunday in Beaver Dan. And... Uh, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I celebrate uh, uh, with the chicken curry in uh, Amy's uh, kitchen. <laughs> so uh, it is glad to be here, and uh, I always have been thankful to you that you pray uh, for this mission. And uh, you might know about uh, Apostle Thomas, one of the disciples of Jesus Christ who did not believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he came to India, preached the gospel 2,000 years ago, maybe 58 AD. And he murdered, killed, and we have his tomb in South India at Mailapur, Chennai. It amazes me even though the 
gospel came 2,000 years ago. And the gospel did not reach in the whole India. The whatever is the reason is the language barrier. And so we understood the language barrier. And it could not go in just one state, beyond one state, uh, the gospel. And in 2002, we trained the nationals coming from different languages, different culture. And uh, so they have been trained, and they, they are training their um, own people in their own state, in their own language. And so we do seminars, three-day seminars, teaching them how to preach the gospel and how to plant the house churches. And so God has been used this mission uh, known as BGL, Barnabas Global Link, since 2002, planting more than 5,000 house churches. I don't know how, how much the population was when Apostle Thomas was in the first century, but right now the population of India is those 1.3 billion people. Billion, not million. 1.3 billion people. Uh, One-sixth of the world's population. Every sixth person in the world is a Indian. And more people have to be reached in India anyway than anywhere in, in, in the world. And so, uh, thank you once again for BVDM, the BVDM sponsoring um, seminar in 2015, uh, December. And uh, we did the seminar there, and about 200 house churches planted out of that seminar. Praise God. And so God can do it. And so not me, not anybody else, but God can do it. And so uh, thank you again. And so um, I come from the country, from the Dowding Thomas. <laughs> okay, thank you. From the bottom of my heart, I believe everybody in this room this morning is special. But let me identify two more special guests this morning. They've both been here before, but they're making their first appearance here at Beaverdam Baptist Church as Mr. and Mrs. Jacob and Courtney Williams. God bless you both, and congratulations on your precious marriage. <laughs> Love that look of newlyweds, just excited about life. So, so thankful for you, Jacob and Courtney. Pastor Gary read this a minute ago, but uh, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here. He is risen. We have a risen Savior that lives in heaven today. You know why he lives in heaven today? Because he's the Son of God. He was 100% God and 100% man. He came to this earth to die for you and I. That was his purpose for coming. He came here to let us see in a manly form what it looks like to be a follower of himself. What God looks like in the human form. Don't you find it interesting, though, as you look back to the story, we've all read it many times, it's portrayed in all four Gospels here, talked about in some of the epistles as well. But don't you find it absolutely interesting that the apostles and the followers of Jesus Christ were completely blindsided by the resurrection? Surprise! He rose from the grave. 
Not one of the Gospels says anything about anybody at that time realizing, all right, it's just been revealed what we've been told. They just had, they had no familiarity with the idea that the resurrection was happening and happened. How do they miss it? In the Gospel of Matthew alone, we see it written four times where Jesus Christ very specifically, very forthright, very directly told them, I'm going to die. But on the third day, I'm going to be raised. He used all kinds of illustrations, the illustration of Jonah, all the other illustrations we know about there, to let them know what was going to happen. And yet on that Sunday morning, that Easter morning, that resurrection Sunday morning, none of them had a concept of the resurrection. They missed it. Remember the two women? Got up early that morning to go to the tomb. They weren't going to that tomb that morning to see, is he up yet? Did he rise yet? They were going to that tomb to anoint a dead body. Well, surprise. The tomb was empty. They couldn't believe it. The angel appeared. Told them to go tell the apostles and tell them to meet me in Galilee and Peter too. I love that part. Peter too. They ran back. You know, the apostles didn't say, okay, it happened. He was right. He said it. He did it. Let's go to Galilee. No. What did Peter and John do? Peter and John ran to the tomb to see for themselves. I don't believe you, girls. i got to see for myself. How is it that we miss the most important things in life sometimes? You know, think about communication for a second. They say in any survey or, I mean, I'm sorry, any seminar or anything you go to to learn about better communicating is the best communicators are the best listeners. You ever found that true? Sometimes we can be talking so much we miss. Sometimes we're not listening and so we miss what's being said. What did you say? God knew that we'd have a problem with listening too. All the way back in the Old Testament, he told Isaiah, he said, hey, go tell the people, but listen, they're going to keep on hearing, but they're not going to understand. They're going to keep seeing, but they're not going to perceive. He told the same thing to Jeremiah. Go tell them all these things. Tell my nation, tell my people these things that they're going to miss it. They're not going to hear it. God put this upon my heart a while back as I was praying about what to preach about and reading through my Bible and the text and what do we preach for Easter. I want to talk about Thomas today. Didn't realize that Dr. Simon was going to be here and he shared the story with me about the southern part of India to this day is the most highly populated Christian area of that nation today. Why? Because Thomas, some 2,000 years ago, went and shared the gospel. We're going to be talking about Thomas today. But as you guys think about Thomas, what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas, right? Doubting Thomas. Well, I want you to know this morning that maybe we can get a new perception of Thomas. Maybe we can see something and looking at Thomas from a different angle. Or see Thomas, I believe, the way God wants us to see Thomas. And he was one of God's precious followers. Listen very carefully. Thomas was a sold-out believer. He was. How do we know? Well, listen, Thomas got called to be an apostle. We see the calling. We didn't see how he got called or where he got called, but we see him listed with the disciples in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Everything else we're going to learn about Thomas we find in the book of John. We're going to look at that here in a few minutes. But he gave up everything to follow Christ. What does that mean? (laughs) He realized there's something about this Jesus I want to follow. He was sold out as far as his life. I'm going to follow this guy. We see that Thomas was willing to live and to die for him. Thomas was a true believer. We're going to read probably the most well-known story about Thomas here, and then we're going to look at a couple ones that are less known to kind of get a perception this morning and a 
a perspective of Thomas. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn to John 20. And as you find your way there, stand with me, if you will, out of reverence and respect to the reading of God's holy word. We're going to start at verse 24 in chapter 20 of the book of John. Verse 24, chapter 20, it says, Now Thomas called the twin. One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, the disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And here's the final beatitude you read in the book, in the book of the Bible here. It says, Blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. Let's pray. Father, may you bless the reading of your holy word. Father, show us something today in your holy word, Lord, that has our name on it, Father. Lord, I pray that each and every one of us, beginning with the pastor this morning, will leave here with a greater, stronger, more insightful understanding of the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. Father, we love you. We thank you once again this morning for first loving us. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. There's three occasions we want to look at today. I, I believe and I hope it will help us to understand Thomas in a better way, but I hope it will help us to understand ourselves in a better way in reference to the resurrection, to understand the resurrection in a great way. The first one I look at happens in John 11. don't need to turn there. You can if you like. You know the story. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to be crucified. He stops to rest a little bit. And along come messengers from Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus, is very sick. He's ill. They don't think he's going to make it. They say, Jesus, come quick. Jesus, come quick. Well, Jesus says, okay, okay. But he decides to wait a couple days. And during that couple days, the apostles are telling him, Jesus, you don't need to go there. It's dangerous. You don't, you don't need to go there. Don't go there, Jesus. It's too dangerous. Then in verse 16 of chapter 11 of John, we see old Thomas make a great statement. Everybody's arguing about him not going, so Thomas says, I have something to say. He said, let's go. He says that we may die with him. Let's go that we may die with him. Well, most theologians would say that's kind of a pessimistic attitude, but it's also an attitude of devotion. He's willing to go. He's saying, Jesus, if you go die, we're going with you. The pessimism part was he hadn't remembered all the times he'd seen Jesus get out of all kinds of other trouble. How did he know they're going to die? He was taking the word of these guys seriously. He's going to die. Well, we know he was going to die. But he said, I'm willing to go. Why was Thomas willing to go? Don't miss this thought. He was willing to go and die with Jesus because he didn't want to live without Jesus. He wanted to be with Jesus to the end. His life didn't mean anything without Jesus. That's devotion. He realized if I die today, so be it. But I'm going to die with my friend and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was devoted. In 2015, we sponsored a pastor's conference in India, New Delhi. And uh, God did some great works with that, but... Several months before that, there was another pastor conference 
in a place called Asim in India. They started the conference on that very first day. Men with weapons came in and began beating the pastors and Pastor Sonny's son, Solomon. Robbed them all, took watches and money, got over $1,500 from Solomon that was going to be used to pay for this conference and pay some for the food and those sort of things. Robbed them all and dispersed them. There was about 115 men there. Dispersed them in all different directions there. They were beat up. Solomon was beat up pretty bad and bruised and, and uh, hurt. But Solomon, the leading that conference, Dr. Sonny's son, got the word out to all of them, hey, we have a new place to meet tomorrow. How was some moved by that? They came with the guns the first day and beat them up and robbed them all, said, don't do this again. They could have killed them, but they didn't. So Solomon said, hey, I'm trusting God. I have devotion to Jesus Christ. If we get beat up, so we get beat up. But we're going to continue marching for God. That's the kind of devotion I believe that Thomas had. It's evident here. I'm willing to go die with you, Jesus Christ. The second occasion I want to look at for just a second, probably not as well known. We know the story, but we don't know that Thomas's party played, was in the upper room the last night before he got crucified. Remember, Jesus Christ had a fervent desire to gather all his apostles together in that upper room and observe the Passover meal. It ultimately became our Lord's Supper as he talked about the sacrifices, but also let the bread and the cup represent my blood and my body. He gathered them all together there. They talked about all kinds of things. Jesus, if you want to see the most extensive coverage of that evening in that upper room, it's the, the Gospel of John. But there came a point when Jesus Christ realized, you know, I've, I've shared with these guys, I've even told them I'm going to die. He could see they're anxious. So he looked at those guys and I believe this is one of the most comforting scriptures in all the Bible. It's John 14, the first six verses. It says, and as he looked at his apostles at night, let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it will not so, I tell you so. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I go, you may go as well. Well, here's Thomas again. Interrupts Jesus. Jesus, we don't know where you're going, nor do we know the way. Really, Thomas? You're going to ask him a question in the middle of this beautiful scripture that he's reading to us? These beautiful words? Well, let me share several things. This was a little confusing to those apostles. What do you mean you're going to a home with many mansions? What do you mean you're leaving here? What do you mean? You know, how, do you know, how, do, how do we know how to get there? How do we know where you're going? I believe every one of those apostles was thinking that exact same question. Thomas was the one that wanted to ask the question. Why? Because he was listening. He was paying attention. He's saying, Jesus, where you go, I want to go. I don't want to be here without you. And so he says, Jesus, we don't know where you're going, nor do we know the way. Think about this very carefully. Jesus Christ's response. Aren't you thankful that Thomas asked that question? You remember what Jesus' response was? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus Christ nailed it right there. He let those apostles know, listen very carefully, this is why I came, that you might know the way, that you might know the truth, that you might know the life. And he wasn't saying, I'm here just to point you that way. He's saying, I am those things. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he says, listen, very carefully, guys, nobody's going to heaven except through me. You know, how many times has that verse been attacked through the decades, through the centuries, how intolerant those Christians are. They say there's only one way to go to heaven. Listen, 
There's only one thing that's going to happen to you if you go up on top of this building and jump off. You're going to fall down. It's the law of gravity. Truth is narrow. Narrow is the way. Jesus Christ says, narrow is the way. There's only one way to heaven. No matter what all the people out there, all the politically correct people out there say, you know, what do you mean that God's not the same as this God? They're not all the same. There's only one God that's living. There's only one God that has a living son and another part of the Holy, Holy Spirit. God has given you and I a way. Thomas wanted to know that. But he gets a little bad demeanor or bad nomicker to his name that he's doubting. Listen very carefully. There's nothing wrong with a little doubt. I'd rather you have some doubts and ask some questions and get it straight than go through your whole life wondering. I don't want to be too mean, but I believe there's a lot of Christians out there kind of wondering. It would be great if they had a little doubt. Well, let me, let me figure out what Jesus Christ really means. Thomas wanted to know it. Thomas wanted to realize what he had. It's important for you and I to understand what we have as well, too. Your pastor, being a pastor these number of years, being a Christian all my life, I'm looking around. I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Been out there wandering around, not realizing in my own life what God gave me. Missing it. Thomas didn't want to miss it. I'm thankful that I finally got, God finally got my attention. I began being more curious, being more, asking more questions, wondering, God, what is this I really have in you? I believe in Jesus Christ, but what does that mean? That's a great question. What Paul asked on the road to Damascus when he got knocked to his knees by that blinding light. Lord, what do you want me to do? Those are great questions. Those are things that might be perceived as doubt. What do you mean what do I want to do? No, it's a good question. God, what do you want me to do? God, who are you in my life? Thomas got it. Thomas understood what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, there's one more question he asked here. You know what it is. It's the scripture we read today. There's a couple things I want to note here, though. It's huge. As we look at the scripture we just read a minute ago. Chapter 20, verse 24, if you want to flip over there, if you're not still there. Thomas reminds us all here in verse 24 what we miss when we miss a gathering of God's people. Thomas reminds us what we miss when we miss a gathering of God's people. Verse 24, it says, Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. Right after Jesus Christ's crucifixion, the disciples were in the upper room, and Jesus came to them, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas wasn't there. You know, why did Thomas stay away? I don't know. Some people suspect maybe it was because of grief. He was so sad and so sorrowful. He just couldn't be around people because he just needed to be by himself. Why do people miss gathering of God's people today? Maybe too busy. Maybe too tired. Maybe it's too dangerous. Maybe they're worried that the Apostle Peter is going to be there, and I don't like Apostle Peter. Maybe they think it's going to rain. Maybe they think it's just going to be the same old thing. Maybe they think I don't need to be around God's people. Well, Thomas shows us here right now. Don't miss this thought this morning. Thomas shows us here what we miss when we miss a gathering of God's people. We miss Jesus. He missed Jesus. The last part of this. He was not there when Jesus came. I can say this. When you gather with a group of people, that are worshiping God and truly seeking God, you know what you miss when you're not there? Jesus. I miss it. Thursday night, Lord's Supper and Calvin and Ginger Stanley's born. It was just a precious time. There was probably, I didn't count them, but probably in the 35, 40 range of men there. Had a nice meal, but went upstairs and just worshiped God. Had a time to share 
people's stories. Man after man stood up and talked about what God had done. Jesus was there, I'm here to tell you. Tears and eyes. Men emotional about what God was doing in their life and what God had done in their life and God continues to do in their life. Based on this one verse, this one single verse, I don't want to miss a gathering of God's people if I can help it. I want to be there when God's people gather. Look at verse 25 for a second. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. They're sharing about how Jesus showed up. So Thomas said to them, Unless I see the hands, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. He wanted to see firsthand. Thomas wanted to see the marks of Calvary. He wanted to see the marks. I want you to notice this thing. This is kind of interesting. I don't do enough of it for you all, but studying words in the Bible, coming to understand the meaning, but also coming to understand other places they're used. The word print. The word print is another word for mark. It's the Greek word tupon, T-U-P-O-N. The Apostle Paul uses this very same word, tupon, print. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, listen to this. He says, and you became, he's talking about the Thessalonian church. And you, the Thessalonian church, became followers of us and the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy and the Holy Spirit. They were being persecuted. Verse 7 then says this, so that you became examples. And the word examples in this translation is the same word as print. So you came prince to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. What does that mean? I don't want you to miss this this morning. Thomas wanted to see the prints, the marks in Jesus' hands and in his feet so he'd know that he's truly alone. He wanted to see the marks of Calvary. Paul is saying right here, the Thessalonian church, listen very carefully, has the marks of Calvary. And they were impacting that region of the world. because Why? Because they had the marks of Calvary. Listen very carefully. The world has every right, the world has every right to ask you and I, can I see the marks of Calvary on you? And then they'll tell us, you know, I don't really believe this Jesus Christ until I see the marks of Calvary on you. What does that mean? It means that I have Jesus Christ living inside me. They can see Jesus in me just like you stand there with the marks. Just like Thomas wanting to know for sure that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. It was not doubt. It was an act of affirmation, wanting to see Jesus Christ. He was asking the question, I need to see Jesus myself. I hurt. I'm broken because Jesus is gone and I didn't go with him. He wanted to see him again. How do we know that Thomas understood and believed Jesus Christ? First of all, he settled for the answer back there in the upper room. We don't know the way, nor do we know how to get there. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. Right here, there's no written evidence here that Thomas actually put his fingers into Jesus' holes in his hands or into his side, but he believed. Well, how do we know that? Verse number 28 says that, listen, Jesus Christ, you're my Lord and my God. He acknowledged who Jesus was to him. We all struggle with doubt. It's tough. William Barclay, a great theologian, said that Thomas was the man who became certain by doubt. You and I can become certain by doubt. But doubt's a tricky thing. There's similarities with doubt and faith. The similarities are that doubt and faith both come from the same thing. 
from the same place. Doubt and faith come from a confrontation with the unknown. Doubt and faith come from a confrontation with the unknown. I'm not sure what's going to happen. Well, we can go one of two ways. We can either doubt and that can grow, or we can have faith. Just trust God. God, I, I don't know where I'm going, God. I'm not sure this is going to end up well, God, but you're walking every step of the journey with me. I'm just trusting you, God. I have faith in you, God. Why? Because I know the empty tomb. I know what Jesus Christ did. He paid a price upon that cross that I can have confidence in the hardest of times, in the worst of seas, in the biggest battles. I can have that kind of confidence. Listen very carefully, though. Another similarity with doubt and faith, they both either diminish or grow based on where you stand on those two issues. If I enter in with doubt but I begin having faith, you know what happens? My faith grows and my doubt diminishes. But if I kind of tiptoe in on a little bit of faith but all of a sudden I let the doubt overwhelm me, we can become consumed with doubt. Maybe you've had those experiences in your life. I'm doubting things now. I doubt this is going to work out well. I'm, I'm doubting my future because I might lose my job or this is going on or health issues or whatever it might be. We can either have faith or we can have doubt. Don't miss this. Faith is a choice. I choose to have faith. My persona, because I'm flesh, because yeah, the evil permeates our soul without the Holy Spirit, because I am a human being, my tendency is to move towards the doubt. I choose faith. Even though I want to go towards doubt, I'm choosing faith today. I'm not going to let doubt have any place in my life. I'm not going to have doubt get any seed of growth in my life. I'm going to have faith. I'm trusting God moving forward. That's what Thomas wanted, and he got it. Faith is powered by the empty tomb. Did you hear that? Our faith has power because of the empty tomb. Jesus died that you and I might have faith. If we're facing struggles today, I pray that you choose faith. Thomas said, my Lord, my God. He realized who he was. Thomas went out and changed the world. Thomas realized hope in his life, and hope became his real and his new reality. He lived in hope. He went to India, and he changed a nation there. God changed you and I. God has called you and I out to change this world and to change the story. Is there a question or a doubt in your mind that's standing in the way of you receiving the fullness of God's grace? Thomas asked those questions. God answered them. God showed them. This weekend as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I don't want you to stop short outside that tomb. I want you to note that the, ro- the rock has been rolled away from that tomb. I want you to bend down a little bit and look inside. I want you to see that that tomb is empty, that Jesus Christ is no longer there, that he's living in heaven, reigning in righteousness and victory. You and I have an incredible blessing through Jesus Christ. But I want you to know the story did not end at the tomb, the empty tomb. The story goes on. Jesus Christ is just as victorious today as the day he walked out of that tomb. And he wants to manifest his victory, manifest his life in you and I. He wants us to understand that resurrection and live a life that reflects the marks of Calvary into this world.